This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Talking about my um, five children. We went through a stage where my oldest is six and my number two is four years old, so six and four. And they knew, they when my four-year-old was learning what left and right was, he decided that left was his favorite direction. And my daughter decided that right was her favorite direction. So anytime we got in our little minivan and we we're driving around through town and, you know, we'd, we'd go right. Oh, mommy, what direction are we going? Oh, we're going right. My six-year-old would be like, yeah. And my four-year-old would be like, all, I kid you not, all out kicking and screaming in his car seat no I want to go left left is my favorite and then you know I'd be like well mommy's just driving the van you know don't worry about it so we're driving along again and we oh we take a left and they're like oh what what direction do we go in left and then my my six-year-old is pouting (laughs) I want to go right right is my favorite and I am losing my mind because I'm like we could be going to Chuck E. Cheese. My four-year-old likes to say it, likes to call it Chuck and Cheese. I'm like, we could be going to Chuck and Cheese, and you don't care because you just want me to go right, and you just want me to go left. And I'm like, I want to say, don't you know, Mommy knows. I know where we're going, okay? Just trust Mommy. And sometimes what I find in my life is that I am kicking and screaming, telling God, no, I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. No, I don't want my life to look like how it looks right now. And God is sitting there probably wanting to scream at me. Don't you trust me? Don't you know that I know every detail of your life, that I'm in control, that I have a purpose, that I have a plan? So we are going to see how God says that through the story of Esther and how God wants to say that in our lives, how we serve a good, good God and that we can trust him with every detail of our lives. But having said that, I would like to pray one more time. So if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I thank you for these beautiful young ladies that are here today, and I thank you that you brought them here on purpose tonight, more so than them ever just deciding they were going to go to a girls' event, more than Dom deciding he would plan this event. God, you orchestrated it. You set it up for them to be here because you have a purpose and a plan. You have truth that you want to speak to them, and so I beg you, Father, to be here with us tonight. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be stirring their hearts and that they could say a courageous yes to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Esther is an amazing book of the Bible, one of only two books of all the 66 books in the Bible that is named after a woman. So that's a good thing. So if you're, if you'd like to turn to, if anybody has their Bibles or their phones with the Bible app on it, You are welcome to turn to Esther, the book of Esther, chapter 4. Okay. I have to do that as well. Okay. So, Esther, if you're not familiar with the Bible and the story of of Esther, you should definitely go home and read it. Um, I I have too much things I want to say tonight, so I had to kind of cut out all the backstory that I wanted to do about just the story of God's people. But just the story of Esther, you kind of can't leave out any details, okay? So I'm going to like fly through some of them. So the book of Esther starts off with a king named King Ahasuerus, and he is the king of the Persian Empire. And 
He is, he's very powerful. At the time, the Persian Empire was the most powerful empire in the entire known world. And he, um, he is having these awesome parties that he's throwing and for, for all of the important men in the kingdom. And at the same time, his queen, Queen Vashti, is throwing a party for all of the women. And it's been like seven days of partying. And the king says, my queen is so beautiful. I want to prove it to y'all. Vashti, he sends a servant and says, Queen Vashti, come over here to my party. And Queen Vashti's over here like, you've been partying for seven days. Whatever the reason she decides not to go is probably a good one. She says, no, I'm not going to your party. So Ahasuerus over here is like, what do you mean? I'm the king. You should come to my party. You should do whatever I say. And his buddies around him are like, are you going to let her get away with that? She can't disrespect you like that. Then all the women in the kingdom will disrespect you. So he says, you're right. Queen, be gone. And he gets rid of the queen. So now he's lonely. And he, the, his buddies say, oh, we can't have a lonely king. We have to get someone to, we have, we have to get all the beautiful young virgins in the whole kingdom. We'll get them together in the palace. They'll have beauty treatments for 12 whole months, one whole year of nothing but beauty treatments. And then they'll go in. Everybody will spend one night with the king. And then we will pick a queen. He, he, then he can pick a queen. Enter Esther. She's a beautiful young woman living in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. And the Bible says that she is very beautiful. She, the Bible also says that her parents died. And so she's been raised by her cousin Mordecai. And she ends up being taken to the palace to become, to, want to have all these beauty treatments, get all this stuff done. And then the Bible says that the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he selects her to be queen. Okay, so then sometime later, it, her cousin, Mordecai, who's, who's an older cousin, who's like her adopted father, he just happens to hear these two men talking about how they're going to kill the king. And he's like, oh, no, Esther, you're the queen. Tell the king these men want to kill him. So Esther tells him. The king investigates. They realize that it's true. And so they kill these two men that are trying to kill the king. Problem solved. But at this time, nothing is done to even thank or honor Mordecai for just happening to overhear an assassination attempt on the king. So there's another man that you need, about, need to know about named Haman. So Haman um, is the king's second in command over the whole Persian empire. He is number two. So when he goes out, everyone is supposed to bow before him. But Mordecai, for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why. There's a lot of reasons people think it might be. But for whatever reason, Mordecai refuses to bow down before Haman. Of course, remember, Haman is a prideful man. He's like, when his queen won't come, he's like, get rid of the queen. So, you know, Haman's the same way. And he's like, if this man won't bow down before me, he not only does he think, I'm going to get rid of this man, he takes it a whole step further and says, that man is a Jew. I want to get rid of the entire Jewish race of people. So this is an important part. They do something called casting pur or casting lots. That would be like some version of rolling dice or flipping a coin. We don't know exactly what it looked like back then. But what the people in the Persian Empire believed at the time was that they were leaving this decision up to the gods. They did not believe in the one true God, but they they believed in many false gods. And they said, the gods will decide when. Uh, Haman says, the gods will decide when we should destroy the Jews. And as they're casting the lots, it determines that it would be in the 12th month, which was 11 months from then. Okay, all this is just happening. All right, so now Haman goes to the king, and he says, 
Ahasuerus, he doesn't even tell him it's the Jews. He just says there's just these people who are, um, they, they have their own set of laws. They don't really obey your laws, so we should just get rid of them. And the king agrees. He's like, sure, you're going to pay me lots of money for this to happen? Sure, let's go ahead. You can just have whatever you want, as many people, as much money as you want to have. Just go for it. So he lets them go, and this proclamation is sent out into the whole kingdom that on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to to kill every man, woman, child, every single Jew is allowed to be destroyed throughout the entire Persian Empire. And this is where we're going to pick up in our story in Esther chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up the entrance, he went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So Mordecai is devastated about what is supposed to happen to the Jews. And he goes to Esther, and he's like, you're the queen. You have to do something about this. But Esther tells him, you don't understand. Nobody can just, you can't just walk up to the king. I, he hasn't called me to be, to come into to see him in 30 days. She hadn't even seen her own husband, the king, in 30 days. She's like, if I just go into his inner court, I could die. Mordecai is seriously asking her to risk her life. <clears throat> and I love what Mordecai says in verse 12. Well, verse 13. 12 says, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai tells Esther, You're worried about your life now, but what you don't realize is that you're in this same mess with us. One commentary that I read said, Mordecai's trust was in the faithfulness of God, not the faithfulness of Esther. And then the most famous verse in Esther, the the part that, the verse that we're really going to camp out here, verse 14, and then the, the main part of it that says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. 
So an interesting fact about the book of Esther is that God is actually not mentioned one time, which you might think is weird, that in uh, an entire book of the Bible, there is no mention of God. Um, There's an awesome video about the book of Esther by the Bible Project. You can watch it on YouTube. You just put in the Bible Project Esther and it explains a lot. And one thing that they say is that this is actually a brilliant technique by the author. It's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity, and there are signs of it everywhere. The story is full of very odd coincidences and ironic reversals, and it all forces you to see God's purpose, as, that God's purpose at work but behind the scenes. So some of the things we've talked about before that just have just happened by chance, seemingly chance. Esther just happens to become queen. Mordecai just happens to overhear of an assassination attempt on the king. And then the casting of lots just happens to determine that the attack on the Jews won't take place for 11 whole months. These things just happen. But what we, what we know is that God was really at work the whole time. And I'd like to, us to stop and think about all the random things, seemingly random things in our lives. Because maybe some of us in the room don't even think about God on a daily basis. We don't think that God has anything to do with the situations that we are in every single day. But he is, and he's planned it, and he planned for you to be here tonight. He has planned every single detail. And like Esther, we think about, well, that would be, you know, maybe that would be awesome to be queen, or maybe it would be terrifying. Maybe it would be lonely. She was taken away from all of her, her family, from her adopted father, everything that she knew, everything that was familiar. Maybe some of us in the room would be like Esther. We'd say, well, I don't, if, if God has orchestrated and planned every single thing in my life, some of the things in my life are not very good. Um, maybe has God abandoned me? Has he forgot about me? Has he, does he not even care about the things that are happening to me? Because surely if he loved me, how could he have let that happen? That painful, hurtful moment. But he did. And he has a purpose in every moment. The good, the bad, the boring. And that's what we're going to see in Esther. And Mordecai is reminding her of this. He's saying, maybe this is the whole reason you have come to the kingdom, the whole reason you're a queen. Surely if ever there was going to be a reason that you were queen, this is it, the chance to save your people. So my first point tonight that I want you to, to remember, when you, if there's something you're going to remember to go home, is that tonight we're talking about saying a courageous yes to God. The first thing is that we say yes to God right where we are, right where you are. Every detail of your life has been allowed by God for his purposes. You were born into the family that you were born in. You attend the school that you attend for a reason, for God's reasons. You live on the street that you live on for a reason. It might just seem like these things have happened to us, but God says that they are for a reason, the gifts, the talents you have, that is all for a reason. And if you just stop and think about that for a second, if you, if you thought about what if everything about our lives is on purpose, is for such a time as this, for right now, it would change everything. See, Esther is facing um, the physical death of her people, but there are people all around us every single day who are dying spiritually if they don't know Jesus. And God's saying, I put you at your school for such a time as this. I put you in your family for such a time as this. 
God saying it's not a mistake. It is all on purpose, and he wants to use it. So when I was your age, some, some of us maybe in a good light will say good, the, all the good things that have happened to us. When I was your age, I felt kind of guilty about being born in America to a good family. My parents taught me about Jesus, um, and I just felt kind of guilty that I knew there were kids all over the world that didn't have, either didn't have families or didn't have food to eat or um, faced abuse and neglect, and I, I felt guilty about that. And it wasn't until I was in college and I went to a conference and the speaker talked about how when God called Abraham in Genesis 12 two, he says, I will make a great nation. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And the speaker explained how God hasn't just blessed us for our sake so that we can just keep getting more blessings saying like, oh, good, I got some more blessings. Oh, I have this really good education. And oh, you know, I have really good quality clothes to wear. And oh, I have a nice warm jacket. And let me just have more blessings blessings and more blessings. But no, every blessing that you have in your life, God has blessed you so that you could be, be a blessing. So like for me, that changed the way I looked at everything. If I have been blessed with an education, let me tutor at an after-school program and help some kids who don't have parents that can help them with your their homework. And now God's called us to foster. And that's because, like, I had good parents growing up, and now we have a family. I'm married to a good man, and we have, we're blessed with kids, and we love each other. Like, we're a loving family. So God's called us to take other kids in that don't have that, that loving family to be with us, for us to love on them. Whatever blessings God has blessed you with, it's so that you in some way can be a blessing to others who may not have what you have. But then on the other side of it is we say, okay, so, so God's at work in all of this, but what about the hard things? Maybe there's been a death in your family and a divorce. Maybe there's fighting. Maybe there's even been abuse in your life. Maybe you faced bullying at school or loneliness at school, loneliness in your family. And you say, God, how could you allow all of these things to happen? See, because sometimes we can only see what's in front of us. We can only see the pain that's right in front of us. But God sees the beginning, and he sees the end, and he sees the whole picture of what he is doing. All we can see is a right turn here and a left turn there, but God's driving, and he knows. He knows, and he's working it all for good. Sometimes in my life, that means trusting. When I get to that place where I'm like, God, this is not what I wanted my life to look like. This is harder than I expected to be. This is more than I signed up for. I said yes to you right where I was, and it's been painful. It's been hard. And sometimes for me, that means remembering that this life is a breath and that it's going to be gone. And that afterwards, when we live forever and ever and ever and ever in eternity with Jesus forever, Revelations 21 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from my eyes, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Whatever God allows to happen on this earth that is incredibly painful, it's just going to be a breath. And one day in heaven with Jesus, it will all be worth it. So can you say yes to God right where you are? Can you say yes to serve your family? for his glory, because he puts you in your family for such a time as this? 
Can you say that kid that's always by themselves at school, that no one talks to, that everybody kind of makes fun of behind their back? Can you go sit with them? Can you be their friend? Because God put you at your school with that kid for such a time as this. Can you say, I'm going to go and talk to my neighbor. I'm going to go meet, you know, whether they're old or young or in some way. Bake some Christmas cookies. Find an excuse to go talk them and to them and know them. Because God put you on your street for such a time as this. It's not random. It's all by his purposes, for his glory, and he wants you to say yes to him right where you are. So Esther's response in, keep reading, in chapter, you're there with me, chapter 4, we're picking up in verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Paul says a similar thing in Philippians verse 1, 21 through 24. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. My second point tonight is that God is worthy of our yes. Esther says, yes, She says, I will go, I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. She says yes right where she is, and the reason is because God is worthy of our yes. He is worthy of us saying yes to him right where we are. Paul has this attitude that that Christ, that Jesus is so much better than anything on this earth. He's not depressed here. He's not suicidal saying, oh, I don't know if I want to live or die. I can't pick. I'm just so depressed. No, he is so in love with Jesus. He believes that Jesus is so much better than anything on this earth, than anything that this life could have to offer, that he's ready. And I'm not with Paul yet. I'm not there. There's too much on this earth that I love. My family, my people, Christmas, vacation, nap time, whatever it is, those are the things I hold on to. Those are the things that I cling to that trip me up because sometimes I might love them with my actions, maybe more. My actions might show that I love those things more than I love my Savior. But can we be like Esther and say, if I perish, I perish. Whatever God's called us to right where we are, it will cost us. When, um, God called us to foster. It was about it was almost five years ago. I had a friend who fostered, and I was like, that's awesome. I love people that foster. I could never do it. It would be too hard. And then one day I'm spending time with God, and I, I can't explain it because it's not something I would think, but in my heart I just felt like we should foster. So I told my husband, who I thought was going to think it was crazy, but he loves Jesus, so he was like, sure, if God tells you to do it, we should foster. So I go, we go through the whole process. It took two and a half years to get certified, which was good because God needed two and a half years to work on my heart and get out so much selfishness, so much control. And um, he's still doing all of that in the middle of it. But two and a half years later, we get certified to call and um, we get a phone call. I apologize because I'm probably going to cry because 
all of this is a lot for me. Um, God's done so much through this situation. Um, but we get a phone call, our first ever phone call, to take um, a little medical needs baby that had a, a feeding tube in her belly because she wouldn't, she just wouldn't take a bottle. And <clears throat> um, I, I call my husband and I, I tell him about it, and he's like, "Yes, let's take her." And I'm like, "Oh, I don't think we should pray about it." And he's like, "No." God called us to foster. This is the chance. Let's say yes right where we are because God's worthy of our yes. And I'm like, well, I'm going to need to know God really wants me to do this when it gets hard. So I'm going to pray. So I prayed. And of course, God in my heart was just like, yes, this is what I've called you to do. Say yes where you are because I'm worthy of your yes. So I called and said yes. And we bring this little baby home. And um I can't tell you how hard it was. For about three and a half months, she had this skin condition, and she would, like, scratch it, and it would bleed. She wouldn't take a bottle. She had low blood sugar, so we were waking up every three hours and having to put feedings straight into her stomach. And it was, like, at, like, multiple doctor's appointments every week. I don't know what I would have done without my mom and my sister watching my other two kids. I had, at this point, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and I was pregnant with our third biological daughter. We, um, a month away from having her, I would, I was telling Jeremy, my husband, I can't do this. I'm, I can't have another baby in a month and keep taking care of, of this, of her name's Faith. I can't keep Faith. I I can't, we're going to have to call DCFS and tell them they have to come get her because I can't have another baby with all this going on with Faith and all of this with the other kids. Like, I can't do it. This is more than I signed up for. This was, this is overwhelming. I can't do this. And can I tell you, God was just so faithful because every time I would sit down, Jeremy would always be like, let's just give it some time. It's just hard. Let's, you know, let's just wait. If, if you really feel like this, we'll, we'll make that call. Um, but every time I would sit down before God, do you know what he would ask me? He would just ask me, am I not worthy? Am I not worthy of your sleepless nights? Am I not worthy on not being able to spend time with your other kids because you're so busy with this baby? And it's not what I wanted. I wanted to spend time with my other kids, not be so busy with this baby we had taken in. And time and time again, that's all God would say. Am I not worthy? And time and time again, I thank God I was able to come to the conclusion that Esther said, of if this is the death of me, then it will be the death of me. But I will do it. I will say yes, because you are worthy of my yes. And I want you to know tonight that God is asking you the same thing. Whatever he may ask you to say yes to, he says, am I not worthy? Am I not worthy of reaching out to someone? Am I not worthy of asking your family if you can pray with them, even if it means they look at you like you're crazy? Esther says, Mordecai, I could die for this. We might say, my reputation could die for this if they associate me with that person. I don't want to go talk to that person. May we say, if my reputation perishes, it perishes. If my comfort perishes, it perishes because I have to get out of my comfort zone to do what God's called me to do. But the more we allow our wants and our desires to be crucified with Christ, the more space there is for the life of Christ to shine in us for this broken and lost world to see. You see, the Jews didn't need a beautiful Persian queen to look at. They needed a daughter of God who was willing willing to risk their lives, willing to risk her life for their sake. 
and the world doesn't need to see us. It is so hard to be your age. It is so hard to be a woman and to have a standard of beauty and what we are supposed to look like and the pressure we put on ourselves to fit in, to look good enough, to be pretty enough. But nobody needs to see us. Nobody needs to see us. They need to see Jesus in us. And what will you be willing to do so that people will see that? Because he's worthy of our yes. So on that third day that Esther had been fasting, she goes into the king. And the king reaches out his golden scepter, which means it's cool that you're here. I'm happy to see you. It's okay you came, even though I didn't call you. Crisis averted. He didn't say, take her away and kill her. He held out his golden scepter. And she says, he says, what do you want? I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. And Esther says, I just want you to come to a banquet tonight. You and your second-in-command guy, Haman, the one who wants to kill all the Jews, y'all come to a banquet with me tonight. So they do. And they have a great time. And the king asks, what, what would you like? What's your request? Anything you want up to half of my kingdom. And Esther says, you know what? We don't really know why. We don't know if Esther chickened out or if this was her plan all along. But whatever the reason was, again, God was in it all. Because Esther says, you know what, let's have a second banquet tomorrow night, and then I'll tell you what my request is. So Haman, the one who wants to kill everyone, goes home. He's feeling good about himself, but who does he see is Mordecai the Jew who still won't bow down to him. He goes home. He tells his family about the banquet, but he says, you know what, all of this means nothing as long as this Jew is here. So his family, his friends say, what are you waiting for? Just go ask the king if you can kill Mordecai, and then you can enjoy the feast tomorrow night. It'll be fine. So that night, the king can't sleep. Remember all these things that are just happening in the story. The king just happens to not be able to sleep, so he just happens to have a, a book of remembrance brought to him to be read to him, and so he can fall back asleep. But instead, the story that happens to be read is the story of how Mordecai saved his life. And, more, and the, uh, the king says, what have we done to honor this man, Mordecai, who saved my life? And they're like, oh, nothing. He's like, well, who's in the court who can help me decide who, how to honor him? And Haman happens to be the person coming in to ask if Mordecai can be killed, if, if he can just kill Mordecai. He even had it prepared. Haman even set up this huge pointed stake. It's an awful thing, but if you, it's called a gallows. And the way that they used a gallows was they took a person's body and put it on the pointy stake and just ripped it down, which is like an awful, torturous way to die. And so Haman had that made for Mordecai. He's all ready. But instead, he gets there and the king says, Haman, what should we do for someone who the king delights to honor? And Haman thinks, oh, surely he's talking about me. So he tells him, you should put the king's royal robes on him, put a crown on his head, put him on the king's royal horse, parade him through the city square and say, this is what is done for the man in whom the king delights. The king says, good idea. Go take Mordecai the Jew and do every single thing for him and don't leave anything out. I mean, can you imagine what is Haman thinking? Haman has to actually dress up the one person he wants to kill more than anything. He actually has to dress him in the king's robes, put him on a horse, bring him through the city square, and say, this is what is done for the man in whom the king delights to honor. I mean, what would you be thinking if you were Mordecai? Because all along it seems like a really hateful man is about to succeed in doing a really hateful thing. But now Mordecai starts to see 
God at work. He starts to see that God is there all along because now his worst enemy is walking around, walking him around on a horse, giving him honor. So Haman, that night, after doing that, goes home, tells his family what has happened, and they themselves even say, if, if that happened to you, buddy, it's going to be bad. You're not going to win against this guy, Mordecai. Whoever, they realize whoever's on his side is not on your side. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going down well. So Haman goes to the second banquet. Esther tells the king Haman's plan, what had happened. Haman gets, I mean, the king gets so furious about this. He actually walks out. Haman realizes he's in trouble. So he goes to Queen Esther and he falls down before her. And when the king walks in and sees Haman falling down before Queen Esther, he thinks he's trying to hurt her. So he actually says, Haman, I've had it with you. Kill him. And the king's servant actually says, you know what? Haman actually already has a gallows made for Mordecai. And the king says, well, hang him on it. And that's a terrible, terrible way to die. And it can't help me think of another instrument of torture and death that we see in the Bible, the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what was meant as something that would have been Mordecai's death actually ends up destroying his enemy. And something that was meant for Jesus's death actually is our victory, is our hope, is our freedom. What the devil means for evil, God means for good. So the king actually gives Mordecai Haman's position now that Haman's gone. And Esther and Mordecai say, like, king, can you undo all this, this terrible thing that's supposed to happen to the, the Jews? And the king says, no, once the law is made, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't undo it. But what I can do is make a new decree and send it out throughout the entire kingdom that the Jews can actually protect themselves on that day. And so when that day does actually come, the Jews do that. And instead of being destroyed, they actually are able to destroy all of their enemies. So Mordecai and Esther make a holiday called Purim after the casting of Pur, the casting of lots, because they realized that was God's doing. All of the random chance, all of the lottery tickets, that's actually God moving at work. And they, they make a command that a holiday should be made in remembrance of how God saved his people. And I think that that is true of us, that we must remember God's faithfulness in every detail of our lives. As we say yes, okay, the the courageous yes means saying yes to God right where we are. And we say yes because he is worthy of our yes, but it's going to be hard. And we're going to have to remember God's faithfulness Every single day, as we say yes to God, every single day, because God doesn't expect us to do this on our own. He knows how hard it is. Second Corinthians twelve nine through ten say, but He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses." insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Esther didn't have the strength to risk her life on her own. We won't have the strength to say yes to God for all the things that he wants us to when it gets really hard or when it's really boring and really mundane day after day after day doing the same things and still saying yes to God. But he's our strength. 
and he's faithful no matter what. And 2 Timothy 2, 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He's a faithful God. And we can remember his faithfulness is with us every single day, helping us to say yes to him. When maybe sometimes we wish we wouldn't have, he's going to help us. If you could play that song, there's a song called Even If by Mission City Church. And it says pretty much my entire message. So if you want to look at it when you go home, it's really good. And then I also have this picture. Okay, so these are pictures of my children. And you can just see, am I in anybody's way? I can see. You can see every single little bitty picture. And sometimes this represents moments in our life where, like I said earlier, all we can see is right in front of us. All we can see is that hurtful thing that someone said that we still remember. All we can see is being rejected. All we can see is that we weren't, we didn't fit in with that group today. We didn't say the right things. All we can see is, is that hurtful death, that person that we still miss. And we say, God, what are you doing in this? Why are you allowing me to go through this? Why am I here? Why does my life look like that? But what we can't see is that all the seemingly random moments, all of the seeming things that don't make sense to us, that we think we'll never get out of, that, that we'll never understand, really it makes one whole picture. And this is called a photo mosaic, where every single little, this is a picture of all five of my kids. And each one, every little space is one individual picture. And see, that's what God does in our lives. He takes all the randomness, all of the things that we don't understand, we can't make sense of. We can just, we can only see the one picture, a couple different pictures. But God has been here from the beginning. He has seen every breath of your life. He allowed you to breathe every breath of your life. It's because of Him. He holds it all together. So He sees. He knows. It's not random. You're not lost in it. He has a purpose for you in every single thing. And He's asking you tonight, am I not worthy of your yes? Say yes to me right where you are, wherever you are. Say yes. Because He's worthy. He won't leave you. He promises he will always be with you. He will help you to say yes and to keep saying yes. If you could just bow your head and close your eyes with me. If you say tonight, some of you in the room, God, I want to say yes to you in your heart. This is not about a friend on the side of you. This is not about what you're going to do when you leave this place. This is just about you and God. And if you would say, God, I believe that. I believe that you hung there on the cross for me. Your love is so great. You created me. Your plans are so great that God, I want to say yes to you, whatever that might look like. You don't have to be afraid of what God might call you to do, because I promise you it is infinitely better than any plan that you could have for your life. And if you mean that in your heart, then I want you to just say in your heart, tell, tell that to God. Just tell him, just between you and God. Nobody else in the room, just you and God. Just tell him yes. He'll give you the strength 
to keep saying yes. Father, I thank you for these beautiful young women that you are crazy about. Father, I thank you for the plans, for the good things that you want them to do. I pray that you would open their eyes, for that you would open the eyes of their heart, that they would be burdened for the things that burden you, that you would break their hearts for the things that break yours, the people all around them that don't know you, that need to know you. I pray that they would know whatever it is, when they get in that situation, they would feel your Holy Spirit burning inside of them and that they would say yes to you. I pray that you would be with them, that you would strengthen them, that you would send them godly friends, godly mentors, and that they would would help each other, that they would build each other up, and that Elevate Girls would be a force to be reckoned with because they are, they are a group of girls that say a courageous yes to you, God. You can have my life, whatever you want. I give it to you. I am yours. I pray for them. Give them power as they go. Give them strength as they go. Remind them of your faithfulness as they say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.